this is Wesak, the day to celebrate the Buddha, sometimes known as Buddha Day. It's to, it's to remember the, the birth, the enlightenment and the final passing of the Buddha. I just always like to kind of reflect on the fact that we, we're all born and we will all die. And then in the middle, there is this uh, opportunity in the gap between those two points. There is this opportunity to awaken or to sh- uh, shed a little dust from our eyes. And this, the, the Buddha was, the, actually the, the, we say the Buddha rather than Buddha, so it's not a name but it's uh, a quality of awakeness. So when we say the Buddha, it means the awakened one. So his name was Siddhartha Gautama. And then when he became fully enlightened, he became known as, well, but under many different ways actually, but one of them was uh, Buddha, the awakened one. So he didn't really go by a personal name in the same way. And the truth that the Buddha realized, sometimes he speaks of it as like he rediscovered an ancient trail, an ancient road that led to an ancient city that had been forgotten for a long, long time. So it wasn't that he created the truth, he made up a, 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 a doctrine or a theory, but that he rediscovered an, an ancient truth that was always there, but for a long time had been forgotten. And in revealing that truth, he kind of, it's like he, he uh, opened up that old road again for the rest of us to walk as, as well as we can. There are many marvelous stories about the Buddha. And it's, it's interesting being in America in a, what I would say is predominantly a kind of rational uh, context. And people tend to want to rationalize and and don't, like devotion and faith is not necessarily that uh, much upheld as a, as a great quality in this culture, generally speaking, I think. And uh, you know, if you go to Sri Lanka or Thailand tonight, it'll be there'll be a lot of you know, a lot of devotion, a lot of um, probably stories being told about the Buddha's life and, and lanterns and beautiful circumambulations of stupas, chanting, a lot of devotional practices, and a very deep faith in the Buddha as a, as a human being who was enlightened and who uh, did, like uh, the stories of his birth, you know, these miracles happened, and that he walked seven steps, and at each step a lotus appeared, and uh, he declared that he was, uh, I don't remember exactly the words actually, but that he was the, the true one, or something like this, the great one. This is the, the story. And then uh, to the Western um, rational, sceptical mind, you kind of think, well, that's a load of rubbish because the baby can't walk. You know, the, <laughs> the physical, skeletal body wouldn't be able to manage to walk, you know, the newborn baby. So it's a, a very different approach. <laughs> and uh, just this morning we were talking about, is it, oh, is it West Egg today or is it tomorrow? You know, which is a true West Egg? Well, then... You know, the Theravadans say today, and then the Tibetans say it's tomorrow, and then last year we had the Sri Lankans say it was one month, and the Thais say it was another month, you know, and so it's like, well, which is the real one? But it, it actually doesn't really matter, because it's just, it's really like making a, an opportunity to recollect the Buddha 
And if you feel that um, sense of faith, you can see, say, the Buddha as a, a living being who became fully realized and walked and taught and helped many others to awaken. And then there are some who might say, well, it can't prove that there was a Buddha, and maybe there was never a person who was the Buddha. Maybe it was just a, this is just like a profound teaching that's come through in some ways, and people have made up this story about a person who's the called they, they call the Buddha. But you know, I hear people speaking this way, and that's you know we can't prove it one way or another actually. But uh, certainly to have the sense of a, a, a human being who was fully awakened and blessed is, uh, for me, a very inspiring thought. And the fact that the Buddha was a human being who was born and lived a very, actually lived a very comfortable and luxurious life in his young years and then went into his ascetic practices later on to the point he he almost died, was so tough on himself and then uh, also practiced the very subtle levels of meditation, the jhanas, the form jhanas and the formless jhanas, and then realized that none of these things were going to free him from the, the suffering that he was experiencing or the unsatisfactoriness that was that would never leave him despite these uh, despite trying so many different ways of living. There was always this kind of nagging unsatisfactoriness that just wouldn't go away and he was determined not to stop in his search until he'd found the freedom from this nagging unsatisfactoriness so I think probably everyone here might have experienced that from time to time <laughs> and and know the, the thing about wanting to be free from it and, and many of us you know, find our, find our shortcuts you know, eat a pint of ice cream or switch the TV on or whatever it might be and you know that gives us a little relief for a while and then the craving comes back or the or the longing comes back or the the sense of a like a hole inside maybe comes back and and then we're looking for something to fill that again or we're trying to move away from it again and so the Buddha he also did that you know, he also tried to fulfill himself with sensual pleasures and and tried to break through that through uh, like very extreme aesthetic practices but he you know that he found that that trying to fill that trying to find relief through taking something outside himself into himself was not the way and through trying to annihilate himself also was not the way but the way it was somewhere between those two extremes so it's it's not a, you know getting something isn't going to relieve us for very long. It does for a little while, not for very long. And getting rid of something, you know, it we can do that for, we can do that for a, for a short time, but then it takes a lot of effort to keep pushing things away. We can't keep it up. So he's pointing to this uh, this place between those two extremes. It's a, it's a place of knowing place of, of awareness and openness which is uh, not wanting and not pushing away so and I think most of us are in one or, t- one or the other of those modes whether subtly or strongly most of the time but there are those moments where, where the mind isn't where the mind opens and there's that little taste 
uh, Ajahn Buddha Dasa would say, talk about little nibbanas, little nirvanas. So there's that taste of nirvana in that moment when the mind lets go. So personally, I, I have, uh, I don't have a lot of doubt that the Buddha was a, a living being, a human being who walked and taught and realized this through his own investigation and own uh, practice. But even if there wasn't a, a physical being, a Buddha, a person, the teaching itself, it leads to awakening. It leads to understanding and letting go. So, you know, for those with faith, then the, to recollect the Buddha is a, a wonderful practice. It, it brings a lot of joy and openness to the heart and a sense of, um, you know, we can get into this thing of, me and my practice, you know. <laughs> and when you recollect the Buddha, there's just this, this much vaster perspective. So there was him and his full enlightenment, and then the hundreds of people, it seems, who were enlightened in his time, and then over the years, over the centuries, there are different people who've been, who've realized awakening, and that's, um, you know, it's, people, so it's not monastics, it's not any particular gender, it's people who investigated, applied the practice and gained different levels of realisation. So this is continues now to this day, it's an amazing thing that the Buddha 2600 or 500 whatever years ago, his, in a set in motion this, this wheel of Dhamma, or this um, this, this kind of reopened the path that is still being walked now by, by people. So it's kind of a, a beautiful, remarkable thing. For personally, for myself, when I first heard the, the teaching on the Four Noble Truths, and I've said this a few times, when I was 14, um, in a state of uh, deep dukkha, knowing, <laughs> knowing suffering very intensely, and I, came, and I read the Four Noble Truths, I just, my immediate thought was, the Buddha knows the way out of suffering. Mm-hmm. I just felt, yeah, the Buddha knows the way out of suffering. And there was no doubt, and there still isn't actually. And uh, just this recognition of like, even I may be very confused, a lot of dust over my eyes, not, not, and not able to see clearly, not even able to even kind of get close to keeping the five precepts at that time. I know that if I just keep my ear to the ground and I keep listening, I keep learning and, and starting again, eventually I'll, I'll understand this teaching better and it will have some effect. So, uh, so to recollect the Buddha is, uh, can be a very powerful tool. So for me it's, it's been sort of, it's like a firm what do you call it, knowing or something in the heart of like, because this, this human being has walked the path then this foolish human being can also walk the path, it might take a long time but it doesn't matter it's, uh, it's worth it it's worth every step, every struggle, every stone, every trip it's worth all of it because it's leading to freedom from suffering so the Sometimes think about you know, how it must have been. To, I mean, it's, hard, it's impossible to imagine, but you know, to actually have been alive at the time that the Buddha was alive and to be there with him, you know, to have actually met him, heard the teaching, and been in contact with him. 
and there are many stories about his compassion you know, and how, how he would, would survey the 10,000 world systems this is what it says in the scriptures he would, he would get up in the morning and then he would, he would survey the 10,000 world system and see well, who is ready to hear the, the teaching who would, who would um, gain penetrative insight through the teaching today so it might be a, it could be in the Deva realm or it could be in the human realm and then he would uh, see who who was ripe and then sometimes he would walk a long way in fact there's a story of um, I think he was a, an ox herder a poor man who herded oxen and uh, he was just kind of going about his business and he, he knew that the Buddha was was coming to the area and he thought oh I really want to go and hear the Buddha speak but that morning one of his oxen ran away so he thought well, what should I go and get the ox first or should I just go to the Buddha and hear the teaching and then lose the ox you know? and he thought well I'll go and get the ox and then I'll go to see the Buddha because it's my job you know, I should look after the ox and so he did that and he was kind of running around trying to find this ox and he finally found it and he herded it back with the other oxen and then he made his way, walked quite a long way to, the, to where the Buddha was with this large assembly of monks and, and many, many lay people and meanwhile the, the um, you know, people had offered a huge meal and there'd been this kind of whole big day with the, with the Buddha and the monks but he hadn't given any teaching and uh, eventually this man turned up exhausted, he hadn't eaten all day he was exhausted and hungry and he turned up and, uh, and the Buddha asked is there any food left over from the meal? And then people said, yes, there's, there's loads of food, look, there's tons of food. And then, and so he said, that man who's just arrived, make sure he gets a good meal. So they, so they're a bit puzzled, you know, so they make sure he has a good meal. And, and then the man comes and sits down, and then the Buddha gives the teaching. Once he's there and he's eaten, then he gives the teaching. And as he gives that teaching, this man realizes stream entering the first stage of enlightenment and uh, so it was uh, so the Buddha that morning he'd surveyed that area or actually earlier on in fact he'd surveyed the area and he'd seen oh there's a man who's really ripe and, and he will get my teaching if I teach it and uh, so he'd waited and uh, and then as the monks left there later on that day some of them started to complain they said you know the Buddha never asks about how much food there is he's never ever asked before how much food there is, but today when this poor guy, this old, this, you know, this ox herder, who, who knows is he, turns up, the Buddha asks, is there, is there food for him? So what's that about? And then the Buddha says, well actually I, I walked this, uh, I think they've been walking for several days to get to this, this town. He said, actually I walked all of those days to get to this town just to give the teaching to that man, because I knew that he was ready. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know. The compassion of the Buddha. Yeah. And so for me, just to just to have that, uh, I don't know, just to, just to be able to think to think of some of the, the stories of the, the Buddha's life and how he met experiences, is uh, it brings me great heart and and joy and faith, and. You know that he was he was very you know he was his compassion was so deep so he it was he could be also very very uh, according to the scriptures and what you read he could be very 
tough on people. You know, he wasn't always sweet and kind. He could be really tough on people if he felt that they were going off and that they had a chance to wake up. Then he could be really, really, you know, roast to people, you know, with his tongue. And uh, he could also be very patient and very uh, gentle. And uh, although certain certain meditation techniques are, are repeated again and again in the scriptures, there are also, if you look a bit more carefully, you see that there are, there are completely different things that he taught to different people. There are certain people who gave a completely different teaching and practice to than, than the, the sort of general mainstream ones. So he had a sense of like what, how people, what people needed and how they could be kind of ripened, really. So, so, so that, the, that natural state of awakeness, it's like it's, it's inherent in all of us. But there's... Um, you know, we like um, like fruits on the tree. You know, some of us are still at flowers, maybe. Some are a little red green fruits, and some are maybe big fruits, but we haven't really kind of ripened fully yet. And some are just really ready to drop from the tree. And we can't make, we can't determine. You know, we can't say, well, I want to be a, you know, I want to be a a ripe mango when I'm a green mango. You know, you can't do that. You just you've got to go through the process. You've got to let life warm you and uh, ripen you and certainly there are, there are practices that help with the ripening and uh, study also can help with the ripening but we can't make it happen it's a, it's a natural process of returning to our natural state so in our kind of ongoing um, practice and struggle and inspiration and falling and all the things that go on in our path can keep that image of the Buddha as like a it's kind of like a like a light to move towards just knowing that it can be done and you know every breath every step every time you open a door you know it's all an opportunity so however many times you forget or lose perspective or doubt yourself it's, there's always another opportunity and if you have a, a sense of self-doubt you, know, you might think I, th- that, I think that was my first sense of like the Buddha was enlightened but then when I started to look at my own mind it was like oh god the Buddha's enlightened but my goodness <laughs> look at this mess here you know even if I live another 70 years it's not how am I ever going to get anywhere with this you know? that's how I looked at that time and and um, but you know the path is it's mysterious actually. It, it you know you can struggle away with a particular thing for a long time and then suddenly it's a, there's a big shift. And what was really hard work for a long time just isn't anymore. It's almost like a, like you know, these paradigm shifts. So if you if you doubt your own ability to awaken, just know that that is doubt, and doubt is one of the five hindrances of enlightenment. So going into doubt doesn't lead to less doubt, it leads to more. So just know that that's, oh, that's doubt, that's self-doubt. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then be aware of that. It's not, as soon as you're aware of it, it's no longer a hindrance. It's, it's just a, it's actually a tool for awakening. So, but it's about meeting experience in the right way. In a, in a, in a, an aware and awake and interested way 